Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee, and I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, everyone's back to work. Had a three-day weekend. Very nice. Uh, Thank you to all our listeners who supported us with your prayers and your finances during this last Mariathon. It was, uh, I would say it's a success. Um, We we know that uh, we come to you on a regular basis looking for help, but it's because we don't have advertisements on this radio network. We do not believe in taking paid advertisements to keep the radio going. We would prefer to depend on God's providence and the providence of his good people, all of you. So thank you. Today, in parts of the world, it's, well, it's the feast day of St. Joan of Arc. Of course, she's not on the American, the USCCB calendar uh, for whatever reason, but she's a, she's a big deal. And, you know, you, we, it's ordinary time again. So here at our little church, we celebrated uh, the Mass of Joan of Arc, martyr of the church. She's the only person who's ever been condemned by the church and then canonized by the church. First they killed her, then they made her a saint. Uh, but, you know, at just a very young age of 19, she was burned at the stake. Uh, for of all things... The charge was that she was dressed like a man. She was cross-dressing. Can you imagine? Uh, And they tried to make her out to be a witch, but they had no testimony that would support that. Um, But yes, she, in order to hide herself in the, uh, as she was going into these battles with the French army against the British, she had to blend in. So she wore the the soldier's uniform, which is a man's uniform. she didn't do it because she was identifying as a man. So ironic that just a few hundred years later, we have now quite the reverse problem that you can actually be getting in trouble by, by not supporting uh, drag queens and such things. So the times have changed so much. But this woman, you know, when she was young... By the age of 12, she was experiencing apparitions of St. Michael and other saints. They were calling her to defend uh, the first daughter of the church, France, from the invading enemy, the British. And she um, really was quite capable. When she'd show up at these battles, they would win. And when she wasn't there, they often lost. So they quickly realized there was something... Uh, some supernatural element to her presence being with them. Uh, She was sold, captured by her own people, some people that uh, wanted to make a quick buck, and sold to the British, just like Judas betrayed Christ. And there the British put her on trial, the church actually, 
part of the trial. And uh, she was found guilty without, she was railroaded. She didn't even have a defense uh, attorney. And she had a great impact on the French people, including little Therese of Lisieux, who wrote about her devotion to Joan in uh, Story of a Soul. So a great saint. And um, one that we hope is interceding for France is France has... Uh, kind of fallen away from her first love, that is Jesus. Anyway, this weekend we celebrated Pentecost, and we really didn't have a chance to talk about Pentecost uh, last week, so uh, I want to give a little bit of a opinion about it here uh, today on this show, because this is a really, Pentecost was a big, big, big deal. Um, if you remember Jesus, his last words to his best friends were um, go and pray and wait for the spirit that I will send you. Wait and pray. So this actually, these these times, the time between the Ascension, which was on a Thursday, and Pentecost on a Sunday was uh, nine days. This is the first novena, and it was... Uh, introduced by Jesus himself, that he asked them to wait in that room and pray. And of course, his mother was with them. And so this is different than the first time they were in this upper room. Um, the first time they were in the upper room, they were celebrating the Passover, and that we know of, that's written about. They leave that Passover and they go, this is kind of the eve of the ordination, the institution of the Eucharist. Many would say this is the, the birth of the church on Holy Thursday. But it's really, the church doesn't get her wings, so to speak, until Pentecost. And they would go back to that upper room in cowering in fear after the death of Jesus because they were also afraid that that would be their own fate, that they would be rounded up and uh, crucified. So they were cowering in fear the last time they were in that room, when Jesus showed up on Easter, he breathed on them, it says. He breathed on them. Now, that might seem odd to us, but remember, these are mostly Jews. The, all they have is really is the Old Testament at this point. The New Testament, it's, it's, it's actually happening day to day. Jesus is living it out. Nothing's been written down. So when they, they knew their Old Testament scriptures, and they would have known that it was that spirit of God that hovered over the abyss in creation event, uh, that God breathed his spirit, the breath of God into Adam that brought him to life. And it's the same breath that Jesus breathes over his friends for this mini Pentecost. It's not the fullness of the spirit yet. That would happen on Pentecost day. But in the gospel on Pentecost, it's the story of Jesus on Easter appearing to them and breathing on them and instituting the sacrament of reconciliation. And uh, they needed this. He actually says to them, peace be with you twice. So one must think they were actually having a bit of anxiety that he had to say it twice. Uh, he needed to calm them down, so to speak. And of course, they would be so startled because he just walked through the wall and was in their midst. And he shows them his wounds, probably because he um, wants to dispel an idea that he's a ghost. 
So this happens, the breathing upon them. Uh, but then the, he ascends to his father and says, wait for me in this upper room. And they do. And they're with Mary. And Mary is, I'm sure, a calming presence in the midst of them. And um, so they wait. Now, you have to remember as well, there's in the uh, prophet Ezekiel. God said to prophesy over the dead bones. And when the dry bones hear the word of the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you. There's that breath again. So the breath of God is an important theme that the Jews would have recognized. And so when Jesus breathes on them, that's very symbolic. Now, when we look at Pentecost, so these men receive the Holy Spirit, and we see it physically in, in the form of flames coming down upon their heads. But this Pentecost didn't begin with the Catholic Church. Pentecost was a Jewish feast, and uh, they would know this. And in the Jewish liturgical calendar, it, it wound up being this feast to celebrate when God gave the law to his people on Mount Sinai in those stone tablets. Uh, when they were being delivered from slavery out of Egypt. So in that event, there was great fire and smoke, thunder and earthquake, uh, the sound of a trumpet. It was a gigantic fireworks show, you could say. And the people of the Jews, this is one of the greatest events they would have remembered. And there was fire present. So when... Uh, Jesus uh, sends, he's sending the spirit and the spirit comes in the form of fire over them. Uh, they, that would be very symbolic to the Jews and a real uh, moment of uh, awareness that this is truly indeed God that is doing all the things they are doing. So they have the physical manifestation of the fire of God. Uh, which is the same fire that would have led them through the desert at night, getting out of Egypt. And uh, the men are transformed internally as well. So uh, they're no longer afraid. Now, what do we know about fear? Fear can get people to do things they would never ordinarily do, you know, like denying Jesus three times from St. Peter. Uh, even after Jesus predicted it, it still happened because he was terrified. He did not want to be associated with Jesus. They, they were saying at the campfire, remember, there was at the fire outside um, where Jesus was being questioned by the Sanhedrin. And they say, aren't you one of those Galileans that's following Jesus? And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then finally he says, I do not know the man. And he gets very angry. And that's when his eyes lock with Jesus's and the rooster crows and Peter realizes he's committed this great sin. Um, that's Peter before Pentecost. But the post-Pentecost Peter is an entirely different man, entirely different, because they leave the upper room and they go out into the streets and they're they're preaching the good news. They're preaching about Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and now ascended to the Father. And they're preaching the message of God. And they're on fire internally. They have tremendous joy, so much so that the people think they're drunk. They're accusing them of being drunk. And people are receiving this word as well. So 
what many would say is this is the beginning of the the evangelization of the church. The church now has the spirit backing it, and it's the men are set ablaze with this Holy Spirit, and now they're doing this work that Jesus left them to do: go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they've received the Spirit, and now they're going forth. And it's really, when you think about this event, it's an explosion of fulfilled promises, right? Uh, everything God had promised them is is now bursting forth onto this scene with these men. They will now be God's presence uh, in his church, leading his people on their journey home to heaven. These priests, these apostles, these, I guess they're even bishops at this point, and to this very day, the bishops of the church, who are the successors of these apostles, they wear hats, mitres, that are in the shape of a flame of fire. And they're marked out as our pillars of fire leading us on a pilgrim journey home to heaven. Um, so, we even hear that Peter preaches this uh, sermon, and 3,000 people come into the church. 3,000 people in one day uh, are baptized. And it says in the scriptures in Acts, of course, this is all recorded in Acts, because the Gospels end with Jesus ascending into heaven. When Jesus leaves earth, that's the end of the Gospel. And now it's picked up in the Acts of the Apostles, the things that happened after that. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we read that people were bringing their sick uh, the people that had ailments and physical disabilities and lining the streets with them so that even the shadow of Peter could touch them. The shadow, not Peter himself, his shadow. So the shadow of Peter is healing people. Now, we don't hear about Jesus doing that, although he could have, maybe it just wasn't written down. But he, we do know he said, you'll do greater things than I. So perhaps this is one of them. Perhaps the shadow of Peter is healing people. Well, what a gift that is. Imagine, he doesn't even have to touch them or say any prayers, just his shadow going across them. is The spirit is an action, healing and delivering people. And th this great miracle occurs, which has another uh, backstory in the Old Testament. So what happens is they're preaching, but there's people that are from every land and nation so would imagine having a dozen or so different languages, but they're all understanding the apostles. So we don't know if the apostles were given the gift of languages that they could speak all these languages, or if there's some kind of supernatural gift of understanding the Hebrew or Aramaic among all these other languages. So either way, they understood them completely. And this would be a vast difference from the men of Babel. Remember? When they wanted to build a tower that would take them to heaven. And so they set out, because they what they were really saying is, we don't really need God anymore. We're going to build our own path to get home to heaven in this great tower. And God uh, confused their languages and they had to disperse because they couldn't communicate. This is the opposite. This is the bringing all peoples in together in unity for the purpose of bringing them into the one holy Catholic apostolic church of Jesus Christ. So, whereas there was pride at trying to build a tower up to God, 
formerly, now there's this solidarity of men made possible by, by one language uh, in these apostles preaching the gospel to all these nations. So that's sort of the background of Pentecost. Um, and this is where it all began. You know, this is where it all began when they would go out to the nations. Now, if, if you remember, the second reading is to the Corinthians, where Paul is teaching them about uh, the spirit, God's breath, the Holy Spirit, uh, and how it's working among the people. And uh, he's emphasizing that there's a unity that's created by the Holy Spirit alone. Okay. Now, later he would speak to the Galatians with much more detail about the works of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. But at this point in this reading, we have him emphasizing here the unity that's given by this Holy Spirit of God. So this is a distinguishing characteristic of the Trinity, three persons in one. Uh, and man, who is created in the image and likeness of God, is by God's design, hardwired for unity, for communion with both God and others. And what got in the way of this sin? Sin shattered this unity. Um, that immediate fracture of Adam and Eve's relationship with God after their sin in the garden. And in Babel, uh, we're, we're shown how uh, when men actually uh, cobble together unity, that pride can bend them towards a perverse use of unity. So God's descent on Mount Sinai was for the purpose of forming one nation for himself out of many tribes. And he gives them one way to worship and one law to live by. Very detailed instructions on how he wanted to be worshipped. Um, I was speaking with Scott Hahn about this last Wednesday because he said something on the trip that I, I found mind-blowing, just mind-blowing. And um, basically he was explaining how in the um, Jewish scriptures that they would have learned well, God had established a very definite way to be worshipped. Uh, particularly with the temple and how the temple should be built and the inner chamber and the sacrifice. And, the, and the, there was always the altar. There was always a sacrifice uh, of an animal uh, done by a priest who was set apart, the tribe of Levi, and that that sacrifice involved the blood of the animal being spilled out on the altar. Okay. And that's we we have most people know that who who have any kind of theology background at all. Um, the Jesus comes and he's going to take the old covenant and it's going to be made into a new covenant by his very person. He's the altar. He's the high priest. He's the sacrifice, all in one. And uh, he takes his offering to the Father on the cross and he turns that into the mass. And at every mass, that perfect, one perfect sacrifice is made present on the altar where there is a priest, an altar, a sacrifice, and blood. This time it's divine blood. So he took the old sacrifice and made it into the perfect sacrifice of his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we have that now as the Catholic mass. Okay, most people would get that too. So what happened after the temple is destroyed? in 70 AD 
the Jews no longer have the 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 means to do the sacrifice the way it was set up because the temple's gone. So they resort to these synagogues. Synagogues are not mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures, and they're using rabbis who are teachers. They're not using the priests. The Levi priests are no longer used, and they're no longer using an altar, and there's no longer a blood sacrifice. Now this just uh, the opening of the, the scrolls, the reading of the scripture, and the discussion of the scripture in a uh, synagogue by a rabbi. None of this was ordained by God in the Old Testament. It's sort of the new way they're going to do things. Um, okay. And, and at 2,000 years later, there's still no temple. Never got rebuilt. And I think if you're still with me, most people get that. Here's the part that was mind-blowing to me. So when the first breakaway from the church happens, uh, and you look at all of them, really. I mean, when we have the, the Protestant Reformation and all this, uh, the Protestants and the rest who've left the church, they break away from the Catholic Church, which has the one true sacrifice. And what do they do? They model their churches after the post-fall of the temple Jewish model. They get rid of the sacrifice, they get rid of the priests, they get rid of the altar, they get rid of the blood. And what do they do? They build um, worship spaces that, for the most part, there's no altar because there's no sacrifice. And they have uh, men who read from the scriptures and then discuss them. It's the same model. They followed the model of the Jews after the fall of the temple. Whereas the true model is the Catholic Church, which has the true sacrifice. So this, I'd really never heard it put that way before. And uh, I find it fascinating. And I'm hoping, I think it's the hope of everybody, that, that one day all of our Christian brothers would be all united back into the, the faith of the Catholic Church and we would all be worshiping the one true sacrifice at the altar of God, uh, the offering of Jesus to his Father on the cross. That's the hope. And you know what? We would hope for the Jews to come into that too. That was Jesus's initial hope as well, that all the Jews would come over to the new covenant, but they all didn't. So there's a lot to consider there. Um, so much. And, and, and Pentecost is when he sent them out to begin this mission of drawing all these nations into this one church that he established uh, by his one sacrifice to the Father and the institution of the Mass at the Last Supper. So there you have it. So what could we say about Pentecost in a nutshell? Well, I would say at Pentecost, God sent his breath to create a supernatural unity among people, among the people. And it was experienced immediately among the first converts, but it's also a constant manifestation of God's breath in his church, even all these 2,000 years later. The life of Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit, holds us in his one body. Unity, perfect unity, is right there. Um, and that's the power of Pentecost. It's a unifying spirit drawing people into the one body of Christ. Um, so a great and amazing solemnity. And, uh, and you know, just because we're on ordinary time doesn't mean we, we are lacking in solemnities. Because let me tell you, coming up very soon, I think of this, this weekend, I think, is uh, 
the Holy Trinity, I believe. And let's take a look at the Ordo. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, Holy Trinity Sunday, uh, June 4th. And then uh, one week later, we have Corpus Christi, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Body and Blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another big, huge, huge, huge uh, feast. Uh, the Sacred Heart is coming up. Immaculate Heart is coming up. There's, June is just filled with wonderful feasts. Wonderful feasts. So um, we have John, the birth of John the Baptist towards the end of the month. Um, just wonderful things to look forward to. Uh, and great celebrations to um, live out and proclaim. So that's what's going on for the next bit of time here. Um, what else is happening in June? I'll be in Chicago in June on the weekend of the 25th for the anniversary of Medjugorje. I'll be at um, the Croatian Franciscan Church. I could not tell you the name right now, but I'll give you more information. If you're in the Chicago area and you want to come, uh, there's going to be a great uh, celebration. And that's just about a month away, a little less than a month, actually. So good things are on the horizon. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. May let me give you my blessing. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful day. This is Father Dan signing out.